Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. Now, all of you have a copy of tonight's uh, uh, message. We started this last week. Uh, Now, we began this discussion last week about how a story of Jesus healing someone yields what I call a Bible-inspired guide for accomplishing your goal. And I said it's not just a goal of healing, it's any particular goal that you might have. To get a better understanding of this, let's consider Jesus and his mission on earth. And this is what I want you to focus in on and how he used everything that he did as a teachable moment for those around him, his disciples, the followers, and ultimately for us, the believer today. Jesus was savior and healer, we know this. But in this process, he was the master teacher. In everything that he did, he used the experience to show us how this represented an example of any one of these things, of love, of faith, of service, sacrifice, obedience, patience, giving, and others. And sometimes all of these at once. But it was always something that we could learn from and he used everything that he said everything that he did there are no idle words from jesus in the bible there are no idle deeds from jesus in the bible they were all done for our edification the edification initially of his followers and disciples but ultimately for us the believer today now jesus came to heal and i personally believe that healing was probably his most important mission As a matter of fact, we have more about his healing than almost anything else in the Bible. Uh, But he also came to teach us, but you would say yes, to teach us about him, him, himself. But no, actually he really came to teach us about ourselves, to teach us and tell us who we really are. He reminded us that we were the blessed of his father, that we were the salt of the earth, and that we were the inheritors of the kingdom that the Father had provided for us from the foundation of the earth. He also told us in John 14, 12, this John 14, 12, it's for you to mark it down, you don't have to go to John 14, 12, that he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Now he's telling us that if we believe in him, we can not only do the same things that he did, but we can do even greater things than he did. Uh, how many people do you see today doing greater works than Jesus or even equal works to Jesus? Now, when he talks about greater works, uh, we like to explain this by emphasizing the fact that he's not talking about we could raise more people from the dead than he is. We, we're, talking, we're talking in this case about quantity. The greater works that we can do today is that we can reach more people than he could. Remember, he, everywhere he went, he essentially walked. Occasionally he was on a little boat, but they walked. So the, the territory that he could cover was not that great. Apostle Price on a Sunday program can reach millions of people. 
So that's the greater. It's greater in quantity. So that's one example of how we can do greater works than he. But what I want to emphasize to you in our study tonight is the role of Jesus as the master teacher that he was. Now, as you know, Jesus taught using a variety of techniques, including parables and illustrations. He taught by asking pointed questions. For example, he asked the disciples, who do you think that I am? And he wanted to get an answer from them in terms of who they thought he was. And of course, remember, Peter came up with the answer that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But he wanted two things. He wanted to know what they really thought, and then he wanted them to speak it. He wanted them, that's why he said, who do you say? You notice he didn't say, who do you think I am? He said, who do you say I am? He wanted you to, it, saying is very important. Now, he mainly taught, in my opinion, by example. And that's examples that he gave us in everything that he did and said. For example, when he washed the, the disciples' feet, and this is uh, recorded in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 4 through 15. He goes around and washes each disciple's uh, feet. And when he finished, he said, he asked the question, he says, do you know what I've done to you? He says, I have given you an example, an example of what you ought to do to one another. What he was saying is that it's an example of service. It's an example of the kind of respect and service that you should render to your fellow man and so forth. And he says in Mark 10, that's the Gospel of Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 45, he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So he, he was teaching us, he was teaching us the importance of, of serving. And uh, I think, it, 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 I'm not sure if I'm quoting him now, but I know there's a scripture that says that he who would be first among you, let him serve. Serving is such an important, important point to Jesus. Now, another way he taught us was by testing and challenging individuals to help locate their faith and where they were in terms of their faith development. And I think he did this with the rich young ruler. You know the story of the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. You can mark it down. But, but basically the story is that the rich young ruler came to him and said, what must I do? Asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him, and, and, he, and, and by the way, he, I don't have the scripture in front of me, but he, he, he proceeds to tell Jesus how he's, he's observed all the commandments. He's done this, he's done that, he's done that. And Jesus says, well, but there's one more thing that you need to do. And Jesus says, and I'm quoting, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now we know what happened. The young ruler became sorrowful and turned away. And as the scriptures say, because he was very rich. He could not see himself not having his riches. But let me point out something that's not always pointed out. Jesus had nothing against riches or people being rich. I think that he was testing the rich young ruler. He was testing to see if he could give up his riches. 
if he could part with them. And so since he couldn't, I always say that the rich young ruler didn't have riches, the riches had him. Jesus was locating, in other words, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And uh, so the riches were more important to him than uh, eternal life, evidently. So he was locating him, but he did it by challenging him. That was quite a challenge. And Jesus ended up by saying how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom, kingdom of God. Now, let's turn back to tonight's lesson, which you have in your hand, involving a Canaanite woman seeking help from Jesus for her demon-possessed daughter. This, to me, is another example of Jesus testing the individual, testing her faith. And in so doing, Jesus is teaching all of us about all of these different things that we cover in this uh, example about faith, the importance of seeking, the importance of asking, the importance of knocking, of being persistent, of worshiping, uh, and of having knowledge, and of course of taking action based on your faith. This episode about healing described in the seven little scriptures in Matthew chapter 15 verses 22 to 28 contains all of these elements and more that Jesus is showing us. In this story, we say all of the elements that Jesus spoke about in Luke 11 verses 9 and 10, which was in the handout that I gave you Sunday. Luke 11, 9 and 10, for some reason it was recorded as 12 and 13, or 13 and 14, but it's, it's, it's verses 9 and 10. It's a typo. So what he says in verse 9 here in Luke 11, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. And knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. We see in this example of a Canaanite woman that she did all those things. She sought, she knocked, and she asked. Now, let's go back and read this again. Matthew chapter 15 verses 22 to 28. Alright, we're at uh, verse 22, Matthew chapter 15, and verse 22. It says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. 23, But he answered her not a word, nor was he ignored her. And the disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away for she cries out after us. Now let's stop here. Do you know any instance in any other healing situation in the Bible where Jesus turned away anyone who was seeking healing? What does each healing episode conclude with? Well, it concludes with two things that you can remember. He healed all who were sick or demon-possessed. And he usually said to the person something about their faith. Either your faith has made you whole or you have exhibited great faith and so on. So he healed everyone. So by him ignoring her, that's not, this is, what, this is where you have to, 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 to know your Bible and analyze what you're reading. He never turned anyone away. Here it looks like he's turning his back on her. 
that's when you first get the idea that he's testing her. He ignores her. He didn't ignore anybody who, who needed healing. He didn't ignore the lepers. He didn't ignore the centurion. Remember, the centurion was not from the house of Israel either. The centurion was obviously Roman. So it's important to see these things, which, but only if you have the backdrop of his mission and how he operated would you be able to see that. Okay. 24, he, where he, but he answered, oh, I'm sorry, 23, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But you just heard me say that he had healed other people who were not from that house. So she was not the first one. Verse uh, 25. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Again, really challenging her. Not being mean. It looks like, I mean, this is about as mean a statement as you could. You, but he was really, really testing. He was testing her faith, her persistence, her belief in him as a healer and she said yes Lord yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table that's a pretty good comeback from her then Jesus answered and said to her O woman great is your faith let it be to you as you desire and her daughter was healed from that very hour all right so let's go back to our analysis you have it in front of you we're going to start from the beginning we can go over this pretty quickly I think uh, what we see here is that the woman had developed a belief that Jesus could heal her demon-possessed uh, daughter. From this belief, she developed faith in him as the healer. But you have to know the word. See, we, in terms of us seeking healing, we have to know that the word declares that we are indeed heal. We have to know in Isaiah, we have to know in Second Peter, we were healed, we are healed, and we can stand on that word. We can stand on the scripture that I stood on, that, you know, I, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. But you need to know the word. In this case, she knew the word in the sense that she knew the living word. She knew Jesus. She knew where he was going to be. So she had knowledge of the word. When I say she had knowledge of the word, she had knowledge of where the word was going to be. Jesus was the word. And as I say, how do we know that she had knowledge of, of where the word was going to be? It's not a trick question. She was there <laughs> calling after him. So she knew. Uh, obviously, the word had gone across the countryside that there was this... Uh, person going about healing people and so on. So she had knowledge of the word. So it start, the step, step number one again is knowledge. You must have knowledge of the word and you must have knowledge of what you want to accomplish. In the very first verse she cries out, have mercy on me. I'm, looking, I'm reading on page two now. Steps in the model plan. Uh, she, has, she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now she really had knowledge there because she had heard that many people believed that he was the Messiah. And people who knew the Old Testament scriptures knew that the Messiah was to come out of the house of David. 
So she knew that now. She, she was not from the house of Israel, but somehow she knew this. So she demonstrated this knowledge and so on. So that's what it starts with. You have to have knowledge. As Apostle Price says all the time, and you've heard me say this too, without knowledge there can't be faith. In other words, you can't develop faith unless you are basing it on some knowledge that you have. Faith comes after knowledge. You can't just have faith in a vacuum. It has to be based on knowledge. So knowledge is step number one. Step number two is belief. You must have strong belief in what you want to accomplish. From the knowledge described above, the Canaanite woman formed the belief, and I'm reading it number two now, that Jesus could heal her daughter. This belief came from hearing about the man called Jesus who was going about healing people and that this Jesus might be the Messiah the Jews were expecting who was to come out of the house of David. So, forth. so we know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The top of page three. Faith is step three. Faith is acting on what you believe. She believed that Jesus could heal her, so her faith motivated her to find out where he was, to seek him out, to cry after him, and to ask him to have mercy uh, because her daughter was severely demon-possessed. So faith is acting on what you believe. She acted on her belief by locating the word, calling out to him, and telling him what she needed. Here she's demonstrating Romans 10:13, as I said last week, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now somehow she knew that. Obviously she didn't have the Bible <laughs> to, to, to learn it from. Now number four, stating the specific need that you have is the fourth step. She was very clear in making her request known to Jesus, which was healing for her daughter who was severely demon-possessed. Uh, and you can read the rest of that. We won't go over, I went over this last week. It's to let your request be made known to God, Philippians 4, 6, 7, which says, don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, this, so, she was very specific in stating her need. And as I said uh, last week, a lot of people, uh, when, when they pray, they will say, Father, bless Mary, bless John, bless John's son, bless the grandfather. But you need to be specific without. Bless them with their financial need met. Bless them with the healing that they need in their right eye. Bless them with, so be specific. That's, that, that's what we're talking about. And that's what, what uh, the word is talking about. Now, the fifth step is seeking and expecting. The Canaanite woman sought the healer and she expected that he could and would heal her daughter. Again, this reminds us of what Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 7 where he says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. That's exactly what she is doing. She's seeking, she's asking, and she's knocking. She's doing all of those things. Now, number six is verbalizing your goal 
which is important. It's very important to speak what you want to happen to take place. Verbalizing is very important. And we, as I point out, we learn verbalizing from God himself. God spoke the whole world into existence by saying words. He said, let there be, let there be. And nothing happened until he spoke those words. So he's giving us an example of how we can call things into existence by speaking them and so forth. So if you are weak, you, you can say, let there be strength in my body. Let there be strength in my back. I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I'm weak. What does the scripture say? Joel 3 says, let the weak say, I am strong. You say, I am strong. I am strong. I am not weak. I am strong. Speak it. Verbalize it. And you don't have to have an audience. You verbalize it to yourself. Stand in front of the mirror. And if you think that somebody else in the apartment is going to think you're crazy, turn on the shower when you take a shower. And, and speak, but say it. You, you need to hear it. So, so there are three people that need to hear it. The Father, the Devil, and you. Okay, so you need to verbalize it. And so I bring you to uh, Mark eleven twenty three, which says this, For assuredly I say to you, Mark eleven twenty three, you have it right there in red and number six. For assuredly I say to you, <coughs> whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have what he says. So, you hear says mentioned three times and you, you see doubt mentioned but this scripture really emphasizes that it's, a, it's important what you say and that's why we say it's important to verbalize now you know there's a whole sequence of things that you do in terms of seeing your, your goal actualized or materialized on the outward plane. And I've gone over these with you before. You conceptualize what it is that you want and this could be healing as it was in this case. It could be you desire to get married. It could be that you want to buy a home. It could be that you want a job or you want a promotion. It could be any of these things. So you conceptualize that and it, in other words, that's the conceiving of it. Then you verbalize it. You speak it out audibly. Then you internalize it. You get it down into your heart. And then it, uh, after you internalize it, it, it's, it, it it's, you conceptualize it. You believe it in your heart. You internalize it, and then it will eventually appear on the material plane. That's the materialization of it. Conceptualize, visualize. You know, as you visualize it, that's the one I just forgot to mention. You see it. And remember, we give these examples that you have to see your goal. And we like to say that if you can't see it, you can't have it. And, and God gives us this example again back in Genesis when he talking to Abraham and he says open up your eyes lift up your eyes 
and as far as you can see, you can have all of the land as far as you can see. So if you can see it, conceptualize, visualize, verbalize, internalize, and then it materializes. But you need to be able to see it, and you visualize it, and so on. So if you have a particular house in mind, or a particular car in mind, I don't like to reduce this to just material things, to visualize it, get a picture of the car you want. If you want a Rolls Royce, get a picture of a Rolls Royce. Put it on your refrigerator with one of those little uh, refrigerator gadgets that hold things up. But you need to visualize it. If, for example, if you are writing or plan to write a book, and you know the title of your book, actually you can make up the cover of the book yourself in terms of what you can do on the computer. I don't mean you have to do graphics, but you can just say, okay, I'm going to do a book entitled How Sweet It Is. You can say How Sweet It Is by John James. Put it on, and then you visualize it, and you pass it, and you see it every day. And you, that's your visualization of, of that book. And then you see, you visualize page 289, which is the end of the book, and so forth. But this is real. I mean, it works. It works. And all of this comes from the Bible. You know, Isaiah 46.10. God declares the end from the beginning. That's what he's doing. He's visualizing. He's seeing the end of the goal from the beginning. He's telling you to do the same thing. See yourself sitting at that desk of the job that you're seeking. See yourself sitting in your boss's chair if you're aspiring to his job and so forth. Now, what you're not supposed to do is to do anything wicked to get rid of him. Don't poison his tea. <laughs> but if, if that's your ultimate goal, it, may not mean, it doesn't mean that you're going to get that position you know, uh, within a week. But if that's where you see, in other words, you see, that's kind of a figurative thing. In other words, you see yourself in the position of a boss and so forth. You visualize it. And so the image of a boss that you have is, is your boss sitting in the office in his chair. So you, you can visualize yourself sitting in that chair. Very important. So, so and I gave you the experience of uh, uh, last time of Apostle Price when he came into a realization of this after re, you know, having received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he began to go around speaking that all of his needs were met and that he was saying, I am rich, I am rich, I am rich, and so forth. He began to verbalize, and guess what? It came to pass. And he started by giving 10% of the tithes, and they now give 46% of their income, uh, which is significant. And so they're planning 46% of their income every year. You know what that means? That means that they have return coming in all the time from everywhere and I uh, stay with them when I go to California and I see the return coming in from everywhere from overseas from every state in, 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 in the unit there are some people who send them uh, 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 money regularly and this money nobody's more disciplined than Apostle and Dr. Betty about money the money goes into uh, this account where 46% of it is given away and what happens is that that keeps the ball rolling and so forth. Once you get into once you realize that then you know you know and know that you know that it works. 
Now you have faith that it works, but when you actually see it, then you really know that it worked. So anyway, uh, verbal, verbalization is very important. And I, and I use the illustration, it's on the top of page five. We can look at it again. And we'll get through, the, through this tonight. That was one with the issue of blood. Remember the woman had the issue of blood for 12 years and what she said? She said to herself, if I am just able, I'm paraphrasing, if I'm just able to touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. She said, if I can just touch the hem. And of course, she, she did that. She worked her way through the crowd and, and got up and touched the garment and so forth. But she verbalized it first and so on. And what's important about verbalizing, just as I did uh, the Psalm 118.17 about I shall not die but live, is what I said last time also. God is duty-bound and honor-bound to confirm his word. If you feed back to him his word, he is duty-bound to confirm that word. That's why it's important to know the word. And that's why I emphasize this in the teaching that, that I've been doing on Sunday. Why do we study the word in the Bible? So you can know the word, so you can stand on that word. And if you stand on that word, God confirms his word. And he tells us this uh, in Mark 16.20. In Mark 16.20, you have it at the, the bottom of the first paragraph at the top of page 5. Mark 16, 20. You don't have to look it up in the Bible because you have it in front of you there. Uh, and it says this, Mark 16, 20. And they, meaning the disciples, went about preaching everywhere. Preaching what? The word of God everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through or with accompanying signs. Confirming the word. And as I point out, it doesn't say that he confirmed them. He confirmed his word. They were teaching his word. Okay, now. Let's go to the page of top six. Uh, I mean, the, the top of the top six. Let's go to the top of page six. And look at uh, step number seven. Persistence and hard work are step number seven in this guide to achieving your goal. You can expect that your faith in your plan will be tested. You will get rejection, expressions of no interest, sometimes especially from family and friends, and it may cost you financially. In this story, we are analyzing, we say that no matter what the obstacles were faced, uh, that she faced, the Canaanite woman simply would not give up until she achieved her goal. This is why I'm saying Jesus was testing her. When he would not answer her, when he ignored her, when he said those different things to her and so forth, he was testing her to see how persistent she would be, how strong her faith was. And so he, uh, and I give you the examples here. In verse 23, Jesus ignored her and the disciples urged him to send her away. In verse 24, he reminds her that he was sent only to serve the house of Israel. She was a Canaanite and certainly not of the house of Israel. I'm reading what was written there. In verse 26, and this is the way I put it. Jesus delivers a blow that would have sent most people running. But he answered her plea for healing by saying, it's not good to take the children's bread. The children's bread is what healing is called. The children's bread. And said it should not be squandered on the little dogs. So it was not uncommon in those days for the Jews to refer to non-Jews in very negative and harsh terms. But even with that insult, the Canaanite woman would not be deterred. 
She saw every challenge as a test of her endurance, a test of trial of her faith. And she chose to grow through the challenges and not just go through them. She got bolder and stronger at each new hurdle. Now, look at her response to Jesus' statement. And I'm reading, you can read it right along with me, to Jesus' statement about the little dogs. In Matthew uh, 15, 27, she says this, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Now, I see this exchange between the woman and Jesus as Jesus testing her faith and her determination. Almost anyone else would have given up after verse 26, but not this Canaanite woman. Again, she saw every challenge, every rebuff as a test of her endurance, a test of trial of her faith. And as stated, she again chose to grow through that challenge and not just go through it. And say, in other words, you, if you've done your best, you, and so many people give up and say, well, I've done my best. But if you come short of the goal, guess what? Your best is not good enough. No, you're supposed to keep at it until you win. And why do you do that? Because you're already victorious. You're already a winner. See, when you know the, what the word tells you, the word says, in all these things, uh, you are already victorious. In all these things, you're more than a conqueror. So if you understand and know the word, then you know that you can't lose, that you win. As Apostle Price likes to say, go to the end of the book, the Bible, and you see that we win. So you know that you win. So if you know that you're going to win, why give up? No, you're going to win. It's when you give up. It's when you don't win. So you've got to be persistent. And she certainly was persistent. So look at the response. I'm, I'm reading next to the last paragraph on 6. Uh, to Jesus' statement about the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Now I see this exchange uh, between, again, the woman and Jesus testing her faith, her determination. Almost anyone would have given up, as I say here. But she continued to grow in strength and so forth. Now, the, uh, I'm at the, at the top of, of, of seven, page seven. Remember what it says in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4? It tells us this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, that's tests and temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience is endurance. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, don't think that the persistence described here was not hard work for this woman who was an outsider because she was a Canaanite and not a member of the House of Israel, based on a tradition of discrimination against outsiders, which Jews use against other people, the woman knew that she could not only be rebuffed, but literally thrown to the side of the road by the followers of Jesus. Remember, the disciples and followers of Jesus originally believed that his message was only for the Jews, and so forth. So they subscribed to that notion. Now, there's no substitute for hard work. And I mentioned here the old saying, success is 20% inspiration and 80% perspiration. And so on. And you can read the rest there. Now, number eight, knowing the importance of worship prior to asking and receiving from God is step number eight. Now, this little set of scriptures in Matthew 15, 22 to 28 has all of this in there. It has worship in there. Because you remember what it said, she came 
to him and worshiped him and then asked him again for help. She knew the importance of worship. How she knew, I don't know. She came in Matthew 15, uh, verse 25. She says, she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. This woman who was not Jewish somehow understood the importance of worshiping the Lord before making a request for help from him. You can look in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, where it talks about Solomon and his worshiping God. You have it right here in, in, in your notes right there. In verse 6, Solomon offers up a thousand burnt offerings to the Lord. Burnt offerings was the way they worshiped God in the Old Testament. And verse 7 says, on that night, meaning that very night of the day that he off offered up the thousand burnt offerings, God appeared to Solomon and said, ask, what shall I give you? And he's, he's saying, ask, what do you want me to give you? You remember in the story that Solomon asked for wisdom so that he could govern God's people. And because he did not ask for riches, God not only granted Solomon great wisdom, but gave him riches, the likes of which the world had never seen. We see the importance of worship in the story of Paul and Silas when they were in jail. That's in Acts at the, at the very last line of page 7, Acts chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. Paul and Silas were in jail. Remember, they had been arrested. They were bound by chains. They were actually bound to the floor with chains. But instead of being filled with despair, around midnight, Paul and Silas began praying and singing hymns to, to, to God. In other words, worshiping the Father. In verse 26 it says, Suddenly, I'm reading at the top of page 8, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. Not just theirs, but all the other prisoners' chains were loosed. And they were subsequently set free. They were loose. All the prisoners could have gone free and so on. And, and the jailers were terrified because they knew that if, if everybody had, 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 had run out and set themselves free, they would have been killed. But Paul and Silas, they didn't let people run and escape. And they told them, don't worry, and so forth. But eventually they were, they were, they were set free. Now, in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, you, you following along with me? Oh, somebody should give her a copy of the... She doesn't have a copy of the... We're on page 8. <laughs> page 8. Where I say in Luke 11, to Jesus says, When you pray, say this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I think very few people realize that right here, this is worship. This is worship. Before you proceed to ask, give us this day our daily bread and so forth. Those first two, four, five lines are worship and, and so on. So we have examples of this. We have examples of Daniel. Nehemiah both had a certain prayer that they would do uh, before they, you know, got into dialogue with, with the Father in terms of what they wanted to speak to him about or ask him about and so forth and so on. So that's worship. Jesus gave us that example also that you worship the Father before you proceed to ask. Now, number nine, 
Understanding the effectiveness of even a small portion of a blessing from God is step number nine. As Matthew 15, 26 says, Jesus refers to the healing, to healing as the children's bread. And that this bread belonged to the children of Israel and not the little dogs, the nun uh, Israelites. In Matthew 15, 27, the Canaanite woman says this, Yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. In other words, and we were talking about this in the discipleship training class on healing uh, a week or so ago. In other words, if, if there is power in the loaf of bread, the bread being symbolic of healing, of the healing blessing, then there is power in the crumbs, a small portion of the bread that fall from the loaf. Uh, the loaf is a whole blessing, but there's healing in the crumbs that fall from it. And I, and I like to, to emphasize to people that this is important for us to know in terms of learning the word. I never said that you have to know all the word. You just have to know some of the word, a sufficient amount of word, and then you really need to know the word that pertains to some area that you have a particular interest in. Know that word. That doesn't mean you have to know everything from Genesis to Revelation before you can get some manifestation. And that's what this is telling us. Just a little crumbs. And I point out that Apostle Price teaches the fundamentals. And he's been criticized uh, for going over the fundamentals over and over again in his teaching. And his answer is quite simple. The reason I go over the fundamentals so often is that it's obvious that you haven't gotten them. Because if you have gotten the fundamentals, you would not be coming to my office for counseling because you have this need or this lack or you're suffering from this or your husband is beating you upside the head and so forth. So it's obvious that you haven't gotten it. So, and keep remember, and remember this, there's a new crop of people who need the fundamentals every year. So the fundamental, I don't mean that he only teaches the fundamentals, but he knows that if you get grounding in the fundamentals, you will be in good stead. And again, it's the example of the woman with the issue of blood. You remember what she said? If I can just touch the hem of his garment, that's the tip of the garment, and so forth, I will be made whole. And I like to say that if you could just touch the hem of this absolute truth that's in the word that we teach, you can be made whole. You don't have to know every word, every verse, every scripture. But you need to study, you need to know as much as you can. Remember the example that uh, I gave of, of the definition of weight last Sunday. Weight being a rope that binds and that each layer of strand that you add to the rope makes it stronger. And I said, think of the strands as the word of God. The more words you add to your rope that's binding you with the father, the stronger the, 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 uh, the uh, connection and the binding is and so forth. So that's why you want to know more word because we're told that grace and peace is multiplied to you how? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. That's the knowledge of the word. So increase in knowledge increases your strength, increases uh, your ability to meet every challenge that's facing you because you're stronger, so forth.
and number 10, which is, uh, wait a minute, I have uh, how many more? Oh, let me, let me get moving so we can finish it. 10 is a positive response to the challenge of the word is step 10. In other words, the word challenges us. When the word says, for example, go to the next page, page 9. The word tells us to love one another and to esteem others more than ourselves and to look out for others and not just ourselves. Now that's a real challenge to love everybody because all of you are not lovable. No. No. You know that everybody in your family is not lovable. All your neighbors in your building are not lovable. All the people on the street that you meet are not lovable. So that's a real challenge. But that's what the word does. It challenges us. So that's what Jesus says the word. He challenged the lady, the Canaanite woman, each step of the way. So we can see uh, him challenging her with the different things that, that, that he, uh, he, he did. He challenged the Canaanite woman to reflect on her sense of worthiness. Worthiness to receive healing like an Israelite. And uh, when, you know, this is when he said that the, 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 the children's bread is only for the house of Israel and so forth. He was challenging her in terms of her own sense of self-worth. She obviously felt that she was worthy uh, uh, enough to, see, to, 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 be, to get healing for her daughter because she followed after him and so forth. She demonstrates for us and for all believers today that healing is for all. Not just for a select group. Healing is for all in her persistence and so forth. And, and that's what Jesus was drawing out of her, that, uh, that you really are worthy uh, to be healed. Number 11, the 11th point, and I only have one more. You must believe that you can achieve your goal regardless of what the world might think. And again, the world told her that she had no right to even be in their company, let alone receive healing or a touch of a healing power from the person who she thought to be the Messiah. So the world tells you all kinds of things in terms of some goal that you set for yourself. That no woman has, I only have two more minutes, no woman has ever held this kind of a job before. No woman of your race has ever achieved what you're trying to achieve. No one your age has ever done this. You're too old, you're too young, and so forth. It's rejecting what the world might think. You have, you have to believe that you can achieve what you set out to achieve regardless of what the world tells you. So we have to be the same way. And I give you some examples down at the bottom of page nine, which, uh, which you should read. Now let's go to the final point, and this will take just another minute. Number 12. God responds to our faith. And you see this in, tw in step 12. In Matthew 15, 28, where it reads, Then Jesus answered her and said, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. God responds to our faith. It doesn't respond to our cry. He doesn't respond to our crying, our begging, our pleading, and so forth. Uh, uh, you, some people say, you know, I cried all night out to, 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 to God you know, for help. No, he responds to your faith. You can cry all night, but you better match it with faith. He responds to your faith. And this woman showed great faith, and that's what he's telling her there. God responds to our faith, not to our age, not to our gender or race, not to our crying, not to our begging. You must have faith like this Canaanite woman. You must have faith in your idea, in your plan, in your product or promotion, 
and your healing desire and invite God to be part of it if you want his help. When you ask God for help in your mission, you make God a partner in your project. That's important to, to remember. When you ask his help, you make him a partner. When you have him as a partner, then you don't need Trump, you don't need Warren Buffett, you don't need, uh, you don't need any of the millionaires out there. God is your partner. You've got everything. Very important to remember that. You couldn't have a better partner. God is motion sensitive. You have to draw closer to him and he draws closer to you. That's James chapter 4 verse 8 which tells us to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And always remember, God is moved by faith. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the sixth floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.